Welcome to the weekly message from Encounter, where the past has no future and hope is reborn. Our speaker today is Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor at Encounter. it out. I wish I had this titled, Work It, but I was afraid that maybe you guys were expecting me to work it when I got up here, and so I added the word out to it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, wherefore, My beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Would you stretch your hands this way and pray with me and for me this morning? Father, I... I stand before your people, and I, I, I recognize them as such. They're your people, and I know that you have a heart for them. And so, Holy Spirit, I, I just ask you to do what you do so well. Would you speak to every heart here today? You, you know them by name. You know their, their struggles. You know what they face. You know what they feel. You know what's happened to them. And yet you are the spirit of truth, and you bring truth to us and sets us free. So, Father, I, I just ask you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to do that this morning. Help me to have clarity of thought and liberty to share your heart. Amen. If you've done any reading in the Bible, you know that in Philippians, Paul is, I think it's one of his warmer writings. He, for whatever reason, he, it seems like more than any other group of people, he's embraced the Philippians and he speaks to them like a, a father speaking to a child. In fact, he, he knows that he can't be there with them all the time. And you read later on in Philippians 2, he, he is going to send somebody, and he's, he's anguishing over who to send because he cares for them so much. And he starts off by writing this. And it's always important that when you read the Word of God, you need to know who the Word of God is being spoke to, whether it's being spoke to a believer or a non-believer. And he right here and he says, my, my beloved. That's as endearing a word as he could have chose. He's not talking to somebody who is lost. He's not talking to somebody who's outside the faith. He's not talking to somebody who is adversarial. He's talking to those people that are near and dear to him. People of like faith. People of fellow believers. He says, I, my beloved, I... I encourage you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I want to, the Lord's put on my heart to share a little bit with you, but I, 
and I feel to do it in a certain pattern as opposed to start at the beginning, work to the end. We're going to work at the, start at the end and work toward the beginning. With fear and trembling. I, I, I love that we're living in an age where we are becoming more aware of the, 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 the love nature of God. And I, 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 I call him father. He's also a friend. I mean, you can relate. He is compassionate and he's warm. He's understanding. He's giving and forgiving. He's merciful. And all that's true. He's been patient with me. Has he been patient with anybody else? And Paul is writing to these people that and he's, he's been a father figure to them and he's, he's very, they're very endeared to his heart and he's He's letting them know that he's compassionate towards them, but he needs to remind them of something. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you were afraid of God? Does that even enter our equation anymore? Fear. This isn't a a fear like you would be afraid of the dark. This is an incredible respect with, with, with fear. Fear that is so deep that it's with trembling. I, it's a horrible memory. I, I don't know why it impacted me so. We, I grew up in a house with an alcoholic father, and he was at times violent. It, it was sad, but we, we, we got to the place we, we started to live like rats. While he was awake, we, we hid. For some of you, you can relate to that. And when he went to sleep, and he typically went to sleep drunk, we, we came out. And it was almost surreal. We lived in this big, big, huge old house that sat way out in the middle of nowhere. And at night, everybody, there was six bedrooms in the house, and you know, we're all scattered in our bedrooms, and he's down in the fan room by himself watching TV, making the trip back and forth to the refrigerator. And when he was done, he got drunk, you'd hear the TV turn off, and you'd hear him trek through and up the steps and down the hall and you'd hear his bedroom door shut. And then you knew you just had to wait 10 minutes or so. He'll be asleep. He snored like a, a bull about the charge. And we, we sat in the house and we, we listened for that. Because then that's safe. Now we can, we can get out. We can get something to eat. We can watch TV. And this particular night, he had gone to sleep, and the snoring started, and we began to exit out of our rooms and go downstairs, and Mom had made oatmeal cookies, and she made just some fantastic oatmeal cookies, and so we're grabbing cookies and a glass of milk, and we're all heading into the dining room. We're just going to sit and talk and eat our cookies and drink our milk, and I had a little niece that was living with us. She was about four years old. And I don't even, you know, I'm, I'm a practical joker, and I, 
I remember we're sitting, she was the last one to come into the dining room, and, and she, as much as anybody, was afraid of him. And I'll never forget, this little five-year-old little girl comes around the corner, and she's carrying a couple of cookies and a glass of milk. And I go, oh, he's up. And she's so afraid, she's splashing milk all over the place. I felt like about that big. But the look of terror that came on her face. It seems like whenever I read this verse, and I, that, that isn't what God wants, but I, there was a trembling. Her fear brought a, her fear was so deep inside of her. Are you hearing me? That it manifested in a trembling. It just, just at the thought that my dad was awake, her grandpa was awake and coming downstairs. I want, I want to ask you a question. I'm just just labored with this. Is there any fear of God in our lives anymore? Was there any time this week that you faced a situation that as you factored in what you should do, that the fear of God came in? Did that ever become part of the equation? When you decided whether or not to do something? Did the fear of God ever come in? Did the realization that nothing you or I do, nothing you and I think, ever escapes him? Did we ever factor in the fear of God? I've walked with the Lord 30 plus years now, and I... I want to tell you that that's still my gate. Let me know what I'm saying. That there, there, there may be times when, when I'm, I'm, I'm tempted, and, and yet then there comes that final door that even if I could, quote-unquote, cover every other base, there's still God, and He knows and he wouldn't be pleased with that. Anybody hearing me? Do we, do we relate to our Heavenly Father? And, and I, I, for one, love his love. I, I just... But we've got to remember there's another side. That as far as his love is in this direction... His demand for justice is in that direction. And the very nature of God is one that Paul is telling these people that he loves, I, I want you to work out your own salvation, but, but, but work it out with fear. Because sometimes believers play games with God. And they think they can get away with things with God because they can get away with things with man. And I, I want to tell you that God is not a man. He doesn't weak at sin. He doesn't grade on a curve, if you will. He is a holy God and he, he is coming for a holy people. 
Does the fear of God ever enter into the equation as you make decisions? When you think about how you're about to treat somebody, does it ever occur to you that's a child that God created? What about your spouse? It matters to God how you treat your spouse. You may be able to justify the treatment of your spouse in your own mind because of their shortcomings or their failures and, and you feel released to, tr to treat them in a certain way, but what does God think about what you're doing? Amen? Any of you have kids in here? I, I, I want everybody to treat everybody's kids good, but those kids that are ours, come on. Is fear and trembling even part of the equation anymore? Or we just flip it with God? Scrolling through Facebook here about two weeks ago, and, and so, some lady who purports to be a, a, a prophet, she's constantly on there with live feeds. And I scrolled, and my thumb hit the wrong spot, and all of a sudden... I'm getting her live feed. And she's just spouting stuff off that's not even biblical. It's almost like she's making it biblical by saying, Thus saith the Lord. And you know, I'm, I got better things to do. And, 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 the, and me just wanted to just, just scroll on, but I just stopped and left a comment. Would you just stop? Just stop it already. God didn't tell you that. It's a fearful thing to the fall into the hands of a living God. That's what Scripture says. And it's appointed unto all of us. One moment we will all die. One moment you will be pronounced dead and it will all be over. And one moment you will leave this earth and you will stand before God. And we stand before him alone. Does that moment ever factor into your equation of how you conduct your life? It should. It should. It should affect how I conduct my life, how I treat other people, what I do when nobody's watching. Because the reality is that's a fallacy. There is somebody watching all the time. And Paul here is being loving, and he's saying, listen, my beloved. He's telling them, I love you. I love you so much, I'm going to tell you the truth. You need to work out your own salvation, but make sure you're not flipping about it. Make sure that you're intentional. Make sure that you do it with this understanding. He is a God who needs to be feared down to your very core. He is a God, just like that, makes decisions. Decisions you and I would fret over. He cuts to the bone. He knows more than what we did. He knows why we did it. And he knows what his word says. The Bible says when they are standing before God that the books are opened. 
and the book is open. The world is judged out of those books. The Bible doesn't say what they are, but I'll tell you what I think they are. I think they're the book of our life. And everything we read and everything we know and every intent in our heart and everything we heard doesn't go away. I had God break my heart many times. One of them I had this church. It was a small, struggling church. I loved the pastor. And they were struggling, and they only had 15 or so people. And, and he asked if I could come do a revival for him. And I, I, the first time I, he asked, I prayed about it, and, and God didn't release me, so I didn't go. And he asked a couple of more times, and one day I prayed about it, and God told me to go. And, and I went, and I, my heart was so full of wanting to encourage them. I, you know, they're just a struggling small body, and I really wanted to go there with and just encourage and, and bless, and I wanted to see them take a hold of something. And I, I, I would spend my day before God trying to get a, his heart for that night, and every night it was a hard message. And I, I just felt awful. I didn't, you know, it's nothing I wanted to share, and, and it was only a, a three or four night revival, and, and it was just... I remember after two nights, I'm thinking, God, these people are going to hate me when I'm done. And I, I remember it did, you know, there was no fruit that you could measure, not that I'm into measuring fruit, but I, I left the last night and people were cordial and kind. And I drove up the street to a McDonald's there in the little town. I bought a sweet tea. That's of God. I sat in my car, and it's about 10 o'clock at night, and I've, I've got a couple-hour drive ahead of me to head home. And I said, God, I don't know why we were here. I, I know you told me to come. I really thought this would go differently. I really thought this would go differently. And he just said to me, I will use your words against them on the day of judgment. Wow. You see, I can't tell God I didn't know. Because it'll be like roll the tape. And you were in church on that day. And the preacher said it. The watchman warned. He said, work. Work out your own salvation. Work. Work is a four-letter word. We're living in a time when work is almost despised. You know what work is? Work is work. It's work. And we're told to work out our salvation. Work. Folks, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just delivering my heart what's been delivered to me. I'll ask you another question. It's been seven days since some of you were here last week. What work did you do on your salvation this week? What work? What work? What work did you intentionally do it's not easy. It's work. 
I love the, the reward of work. And, but what work did you do? And how did you labor? What did you put into it? Work. Because you know what? Grace is free. Somebody says, is, is salvation all about grace? Absolutely. Is salvation about works? Absolutely. So is it some of grace and some of works? Not on your life. It's all about grace. Do you know how you can... The number one question in all the years I've been asked as a pastor... You know what the number one question I've been asked? How do you know you're saved? That's a good question and one you should know. How do you know? How do you know you're saved? If it's an act of faith, it's by grace we are saved and not of works that we can boast of. How do you know you're saved? You know you're saved because you want to work at it. Working at it doesn't get you saved. But the fact that you want to work at it tells you you're saved. That makes sense, people? It's one thing to tell somebody you love them, but like Heidi Baker says, love looks like something. It looks like something. It's easy to say, I love you, but, it, but real love has feet and hands and a voice. It looks like something. Working out your salvation work, looks like something. It doesn't say work in your salvation. It doesn't say work up your salvation. We're living in a time when churches are working up their salvation. Come on now. They live like hell all week long. And then come to church and the worship team and the, the opening prayer and the announcer and the preacher are good about working up the emotion. And it doesn't matter that they're living with somebody in sin. It doesn't matter that they're sleeping around. It doesn't matter that they're doing this. It doesn't matter that they're stealing. If I can go to church and feel that, I'm okay. But this verse doesn't say work up your salvation. You know what? I'm glad that my salvation has an emotional element to it. But it doesn't need to be emotional to be real. Come on, folks. We don't work up our salvation. We also don't work in our salvation. We, we've got to the place where we're spiritual consumers. We think that the goal of Christianity is to gain, bring in. Go to that conference, go to that place, go for this experience. We wear these things as badges. I mean, know what I'm talking about. And listen to me for a moment. 
experience all of God you can experience. But God's always dealing with the heart of the matter. Whenever he's talking, he's always dealing with the heart of the matter. And people now, they, they don't, they don't want to work at their salvation. They, they want to go find somebody who's already worked at their salvation and get it from them. The ten virgins, Jesus talking about in the last days as the coming of the Lord is at hand. The cry went out. The bridegroom comes and all ten began to get ready. And all of a sudden, five of them realized they didn't have enough. And so they went to the ones that had. And they said, give us what you got. Give us some of your oil. I said, no, 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 you, you go get it yourself. Listen to me for a moment. We got a bunch of oil chasers anymore. People that will just run. This is happening over there. I'm going to go see them. Happening over there. I'm going to go see. This one's anointed. I'm going to go consume. And they're wearing out good ministry people because they don't come with an attitude to give. They come with an attitude to take. They work in their salvation. A number of years ago, I had a, a lady. She, she was, she was a, a kind person. But she would only show up to church every couple of weeks. And she really seemed like she in, enjoyed. And, and yet she'd be gone then for a couple of weeks. And then one day I'm talking to her after service and she said, I, I bet you're wondering why I only come every few weeks. I said, it's past my mind. And she said, every Sunday morning I get up and I think, what do I want this week? She said, and if I want real worship, I go to this church. And she said, if I need real fellowship, I need love done, I go over there. And she said, and when I just want to hear from God, when I want to know what God's word says, I come here. You see that? She's not plugged in or giving anywhere. It's all about working in. She's working in her salvation. She's consuming. She's, she's a spiritual consumer. My wife and I had went to a, a large church in metropolitan St. Louis, and they had a, a visitor center there, almost like you're going to Disneyland, a welcome center. And they had brochures, and you could read the brochure, and it's, whole list of things they can do for you. I, I looked through the whole pamphlet. There was no place where, what, what can we do for you? It's what they can do for me. Are you getting this? It's consumerism. It's, you're all looking at me like a calf at a new gate. It's good stuff. This is good. It's not stuff I want to hear either, but it's good. 
to work out. We forget that Christianity is more about working out than working in. You know what the scripture says about working in? The next verse said, God will work in you. You work out, he works in. So quit playing God. Work out. What does that mean? It means two things. Number one, you've got to get the garbage out of your heart. Amen? When you go through your life and you, you experience things or you do things, you ever done something and then asked yourself a question, why did I do that? Anybody? Why did I? I wanted to learn something, so I went to that one all-knowing source, YouTube. And I saw on the feed next to it, there was, you know, how they recommend videos, and one of them was a compilation of people losing it. I could stand about 40 seconds of it. People lose it over the dumbest things. But they didn't get there in that moment. They've been, they've been working their way there for a long time. And you just happen to be the fuse. You just happen to be the spark that lit their fuse. You've got to work out. You, got, you and I need to get stuff out of our heart. You know how you get it out? You just keep repenting over it sincerely. Not as if it's some kind of a quick band-aid fix. You take a moment and with fear and trembling, you bring it to God and say, God, I'm, I'm sorry I did that again. That's repentance. You're committing your heart to turn away from that. You're telling the Holy Spirit, whatever it is that's driving me to do that, take that out of me. Or you all end up on YouTube. You'll be in somebody else's compilation. Work it out. Work it out. Out. Everybody say out. Work out. Every word and the word of God is intentional. Work out salvation. Work out. It's getting out. It's working out your salvation it's we don't talk enough about out we we think in the kingdom of god it's about getting in i i I read this book i took this course I, i i went to this revival i heard this man preach i this one laid hands on me that one laid hands on me how many know what i'm talking about i went to this conference i i heard that video i watched that sermon i in 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 The church has got to the place it's all about stay and take in. And Jesus said, go out. It's about out. Listen to me for a moment. You've got to understand how the kingdom of God operates. It's not about getting in. It's about giving out. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Do you want to be more blessed? Listen, I I say that and I I feel 
the, the yearning of God to do more in your life. He wants to do more for the body of Christ, and yet he's restrained. Because if you don't operate by his kingdom principles, he can't bless you the way he wants to. And it's more blessed to give than to receive. The law of the kingdom is give. Get your mind off of money. I didn't mention money. Give. And it shall be given to you. That's the law of the kingdom. And what we've come to in the church now is when we get depressed, we seek out somebody who is full of joy. That we might, I mean, know what I'm talking about. We might get from them. When we've lost our faith, we go to somebody who is full of faith that we might get some of that. When we've lost our passion, we want to go hear a minister who sings in song or ministers the word in passion that we might get our passion back. But those are the ways of men. And they up, end up in death. The way of God is when you're, you're depressed you don't go find somebody who has joy. You find somebody who's more depressed than you are. And you give them what little bit of joy you have left. Think about it from Genesis to Revelation. God never talks about this overwhelming gift from somebody. It's empty water pots. It's borrowed pots. It's a little bit of lunch. It's a woman who threw in one mite. They gave what they had. In the kingdom of God, if you're depressed, don't seek out somebody who's full of joy. Find somebody who's more depressed than you are and give them some of your joy. If you're going through financial difficult times, don't look for winning the lottery. Don't go to some rich person and say, you ought to give to me. Don't steal from the government. Give away what you have. If you need somebody to be a friend to you, if nobody is friending you, if nobody is being kind to you, don't seek out somebody who's full of kindness. Do you not understand? That's the way of the world. That's working in. No, find somebody who needs kindness more than you need it. And give them some kindness. Come on, church. If you think that through, if everybody is always, listen to me, if everybody is always looking to somebody who has more of something than they have, you end up with a bunch of people who have very little and a few people who have it all. But if all of us turn around and give downhill, you end up with all of us having a bunch of everything. So what do you lack this morning? 
give that. Don't go get that. You're eating your seed. You say, Pastor, I'm so depressed. I got almost no joy. But you do have some. Yeah, but almost none. Well, give, get rid of that. Get rid of it. Why are you holding on to it? Get rid of that little bit of joy. Because he said you'll be more blessed. You work out. You work out your salvation. Are you getting points from God because you give? No. But if you're truly saved, you that have freely received, freely give. You know how I know I'm, I got saved? It wasn't that I got out of that altar and I was perfect. I, I noticed a change. And I'm still working on working that stuff out, but I noticed a change. I, I went after that service, I went over to my girlfriend's house, and it's a beautiful lady who's now my wife. And I needed to control everything. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And we decided to make popcorn. Well, a control freak would have to have a lid on the pan. But I just, I know this sounds silly, but it has meaning to me. I wondered what we'd like to make popcorn and don't put a lid on the pan. And so I gave her a bowl, and I grabbed a bowl, and we lit it up. I went to bed that night, and listen, I couldn't theologically tell you, first off, don't try this at home. That popcorn comes out hot, and there's grease spattering, but who cared? We had fun. The scars are gone. And the next day, I still sinned. But I didn't like it as much. We know what I'm talking about. It bothered me that I did that. It, it didn't used to bother me. I could, I could talk that way and it didn't bother me. I could think that way and it didn't bother me. I could act that way, it didn't bother me. But now it bothered me. It bothered me that I... You see, when you get saved, it doesn't, doesn't free you from temptation. It frees you from the bondage of sin. What's that mean? You know what I noticed? Before I was saved, sin was inside of me, always trying to get out. After I got saved, sin was outside of me, always trying to get in. That's a good word. I would just lie just because. Now, I got saved and I'm in a position where I would normally lie. It's like, ugh. it's like trying to say, I have another helping of sweet potatoes. It just... It's not going to happen. It was just hard to say. 
work out. Your own salvation. It doesn't mean you can make it up as you go along. It doesn't mean you can create your way. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not by Buddha. It's not by Allah. There is no power in Buddha. There's no power in Allah. I stood waiting in line to eat at a Chinese restaurant, and they took too long. And they had a Buddha statue there. And if the Chinese people are that restaurant are real Buddhists, then there's daily food offerings there. And there was food offering to this Buddha statue. It was a big Buddha statue, and there was food offerings, and I was waiting in line, and I was hungry. And one of the offerings was cookies. Anybody else like cookies? So I grabbed one of Buddha's cookies. Absolute true story. And I started eating it. The Chinese lady who owned the restaurant was not happy with me. She let me know in her broken English and her fiery little Chinese spirit that I shouldn't have ate the cookie. I told her it was perfectly fine. My God was bigger than her God, and he said I could eat his cookie. True story. We were like fourth or fifth in line to be seated. We immediately got seated. Okay? (laughs) They skipped us past everybody. She had to get me away from Buddha's cookies. The dude couldn't even protect his own cookies. What kind of God is that? Come on now. He couldn't protect his cookies, and God moved me, my wife, to the front of the line. Amen. End of story. Your salvation. George, it's the greatest gift you've ever been given. It's the greatest gift. Play some music softly, you would. It's the greatest gift anybody's ever been given. I've got lots of cards that people have given me down through the years. My wife now makes cards, as some of you know, and she makes beautiful cards. And even if they weren't beautiful, she made them. Anybody connect with that? Jesus paid for my salvation. He paid for your salvation and he gave it to you. And God is asking this question, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Getting saved wasn't a license to now become a spiritual consumer. It was a command to go. Give. Find somebody who doesn't have what you have. 
silver and gold have we not. But what we have, we give unto you. In the name of Jesus. See, the word of God empowers people. I'll end with this. He, he was in a house somewhere, and he was teaching, and there was four guys who brought one of their friends who was laid on a bed. He was crippled. They, they carried him. So, listen, somebody put him on that bed. Are you with me? And then four people carried him on that bed and more people got involved and they, they brought his bed up under the roof and they tore a hole in the roof and they lowered him down on his bed in front of Jesus. He couldn't put himself in the bed. He couldn't carry his own bed. He was lowered down from the ceiling on his bed and Jesus looks at him and says, take up your bed and walk. And the guy stands up. That same Jesus said, these works that you've seen me do, you will do also. And greater works. Because I go to my father. And he will send his spirit of truth who will guide you. Let me encourage you this week. I don't know that I've ever assigned homework as a pastor. Paul was preaching to his beloved. We're preaching to our beloved this morning. Work on your salvation this week. Whatever you have to sacrifice, work on it. Whatever you have to give up, it'll be worth it. Jesus said, nobody who gives up this and this and this, homes and farms and jobs and family, that won't be rewarded. Salvation is free. You get it free. Now work it out. Your salvation Quit working on your neighbor's salvation. Well, they need God. You should see the way they live. Well, guess what? So did you at one point in time. So don't go over and give them judgment. Give them God. <laughs> That's a good word. Don't work on your husband's or your wife's salvation. Encourage them in the Lord. Amen? Stand to your feet if you will, church. That's Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor of Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice are available at our website, godenc.com. You can subscribe to our regular podcast through our website or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.